Hi, I'm Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thusio. Thanks for listening to the Thusio Live and Unfiltered podcast. We're bringing our past events back to life for you to enjoy. One of our favorite guests, Joe Theismann, sat down for a Thusio Live and Unfiltered conversation in September of 2019 to discuss his outstanding career, including the ups and downs of playing professional football in Washington. The Super Bowl 17 champion, 1983 NFL Most Valuable Player, and 2003 College Football Hall of Fame inductee gives his thoughts on hard work, adversity, and commitment, as well as his views on college athletes being paid. Enjoy the interview. We go back a long, long way. Uh, my mom and her kitchen used to have a picture of me and Joe Theismann in front of one of his many restaurants back in 1980-something, the one at Falls Church. We got to know each other by virtue of Notre Dame football. I was in the Notre Dame broadcast crew. He is a legend of Notre Dame football. We did a pregame show back in 80-something. And then 16 years ago, I became the voice of the Redskins. Got a lot of different opportunities along the way. And we have been friends for a long, long time. And so I consider Joe a very close friend of mine. And I, I, you, I, I, you. <laughs> so, I'm supposed to say that. Me so, too. So, and, and, and again, we see each other all the time, so we could go here all night. So what we're going to do is talk about three things to kick it off, but I know a lot of people want to know about what's happening now, right? Anybody want to know what's happening now? Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. You watch the game last night, Joe? I did. It wasn't very impressive. Actually, I sent a tweet out last night. Uh, it was very interesting. As I laid there, I was in Indianapolis last night. And I was laying there watching the game, and I said, if you're a Browns fan, you're absolutely loving this. If you're a Jets fan, Jack Reacher's on TNT. <laughs> you can check it. That's the tweet I said. Because I was going back and forth. The Jets got the ball. I went to see Tom Cruise and Jack Reacher. Oh, and then the next Jack Reacher came on. After but it was, I mean, again, it was, um, it's amazing what we've seen this particular year when it comes to quarterbacks. Ben went down yesterday, Drew went down. You know, watching the Jets, it's a little bit of like what we went through last year, having four different guys start in four different games. I see John Johnson was just released by the Detroit Lions. Um, he was let go now. I mean, we have 90 positions roughly at the quarterback position. Yeah, he was our quarterback here. He actually Josh Johnson, who was in the league. A lot of people thought that we should have picked him up, but someone else had picked him up at the end of the offseason, at the end of the preseason game. So maybe we wanted him. I don't think we did, or we would have had him. I, yeah, I, we position was so fluid. Um, we could have brought him to training camp and let him get more comfortable with the system. It never happened. But, you know, this lady on Bell holds out, goes to the Jets. Now they've got a young man, Falk, who's going to start, who hasn't played a lot of football. And I get a kick out of listening to announcers having done it for a number of years and how they justify the kid can throw the ball well. He's never seen what you're going to see in the National Football League. And that's, I go back to a, a dear friend of mine, Tom Moore, who's now back coaching in the league. He coached the Arizona Cardinals for a long time. He's a quarterback consultant at different places. But, and, and Tom told me when Peyton Manning first came in the game, now Peyton Manning threw 29 interceptions his rookie season. And Tom basically said, there's, one, there's two things I'm not going to do with Peyton. I'm not going to get him beat up physically, and I'm not going to get him beat up mentally. And so all the routes were designed for him to get the ball out of his hands, no deeper than seven yards back, and no deeper than 12 yards down the field. 
and we see what the results were after so many years of what Peyton became. On the reverse side of that, you take somebody like Joey Harrington, who wound up in Detroit and just got the ever-loving bejesus beat out of him on a continuing basis. And we saw Andrew. What was that word again? Bejesus. <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's like really that beat up a lot. Write that one down. Um, but then you took a look, take a look at Andrew Luck. After a while, you just get tired. Robert Griffin III went through this. It's one thing to be able to compete. Like every one of you in your jobs, if you went to your job for a month, and then all of a sudden you go had to rehab or you had an operation, you were gone for two or three months, and then you came back, you wouldn't be the same person. You would be behind the, the numbers, so to speak. You would be, be behind in the development in your particular profession. We're no different. But we're, we're, we're business entities that require time on the job to get good at what you do. That's why one of the things that, uh, that I'm most proud of, being a part of a world championship football team, going to two Super Bowls, the MVPs, the man of the year, and all those different things are great. But the thing that I'm singularly most proud of is I played in 163 consecutive football games. I showed up at work every day. And this is the one thing I tried to share with my children when they were in school. I don't care what you feel about, go to school every day. Through the process, as a process of osmosis, you're gonna learn something. And you know what, you might even learn that you enjoy it because then you're gonna know your teachers, then you're gonna know your friends, and all of a sudden it isn't necessarily having to go to school to get an education, which then becomes a residual effect of being there because your friends are there. And so it's the same thing with us in our job. If you can show up every day at work and show that you care, you get a, you get a long career. I mean. I was the fourth highest paid player in National Football League in 1984 at $1 million a year. Now, Dak Prescott is looking at somewhere between 35 and $40 million a year. Russell Wilson is at 35 Aaron Rodgers is at 33 Matt Ryan is at 30 And these stalwarts like Jimmy Garoppolo, who now has played 11 games, is at $27 million a year. Case Keenum? Case Keenum is at six a year. He's six a year, but half of that is Denver's. So three a year for the Redskins. Three years for the Redskins. Good we, business move. We have. I, I, I think it was an excellent business move, to be honest with you. That's Joe. But anyway, the, 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 at, at twenty million a year. But <laughs> Joe, imagine what you would make, Joe. Come on. I mean, somebody here asked me before, what would Sonny make as a free agent? I mean, that'd just be crazy. But Joe, you imagine what you would make now. You would own you would own the city club. <laughs> you would own you would own more than Joe Thaisman's restaurant if you were playing now. Close. I'd be working for you. Close. But I mean, the thing is, is everything is. I mean, everything's changing. I, mean, I base a lot of my presentations off the fact that we deal with change all the time. We have nothing but change in our life. Every day we wake up, something is changing. You look at it globally. You look at it nationally. You look at it in the world of athletics. I mean, the, the, this this reviewing pass interference rule. Is as absurd as anything the National Football League continues to come up with. I swear they sit in a meeting. I swear they sit there and go, hey, we haven't had a stupid rule yet this year. How about this pass interference thing? We've got a great basis to work off of because it happened in New Orleans. So let's review it. Antonio Brown caught a touchdown pass, okay, last week. He pushed off. He pushed off. No penalty. So, I mean, it is so difficult to call. I wish they'd let the football players play football again instead of worrying. Last year, last year, for example, I, I think it was the Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots. A, a defensive tackle has Tom Brady wrapped up like on the five-yard line, and he lets him go. 
because he was afraid to get a roughing penalty, Tom winds up scoring a touchdown. What, what, uh, being a defensive player in the National Football League now is a yeoman's effort. That's another word, yeoman. Difficult effort. Yeah. <laughs> look, look, I went to Maryland. I got a good vocabulary. <laughs> That's good to know. So it's good to know. What, what happened Maryland. this week against Notre Dame, Temple? Maryland. Oh. Oh, okay, Notre Dame. How about three hundred and fifty dollars a semester for my parents to pay back in those days? I didn't pay. <laughs> I got a scholarship. I don't know. You, know what, you know what the University of Notre Dame is today? Sixty-five. No, sixty-five thousand. Which which brings us to another subject: is paying college students. What do you think of that, Joe? Funny you should ask, Larry. <laughs> Listen, you guys, you don't know how long we, we rehearsed for this. We're getting all our good stuff in up front. But, but it's not really. It's, it's an entire 45 minutes of great conversation. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I've gone back and forth on paying college athletes. I think the problem is, first of all, who do you pay? Uh, for example, at the University of Notre Dame, our women's basketball team has won a national championship. Our women's soccer team has won a national championship. Our women's field hockey team, I believe, has won one. Our basketball, our, our men's basketball program hasn't been the best. Our football program, we went to the final, we got to the final four last year. Ice hockey is another one. But I mean, where do you where do you draw the line on compensating college athletes? Is it Division One? Is it Division Two? Is it Division Three? The so ones that generate the revenue. Well, yeah, but but other ones generate revenue for their university. Division Three schools will generate revenue for their universities. It, it's 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 very slippery. It's a slippery slope. It's like the kids at Northwestern, they wanted to become unionized. This was one of the big things a few years back. The absurdity of that is, is if you become unionized, then if you receive a scholarship, that now becomes income. So what's going to happen is if it's a $65,000 scholarship on an annual basis, let's say four years, because nobody really does it, but let's say four anyway, that's a quarter of a million dollars. You will pay approximately $70,000 in taxes. You think your student loan was expensive? How about when you graduate and you owe the IRS seventy thousand? And, and and it just people come up with ideas, and, and I this is what life's all about: change ideas, progressive stuff. I think it's wonderful, but there's that thing called common sense that sooner or later has to, to rear its head and say this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Getting back to paying college athletes, I believe that. And this is my cure. And again, it's the ones that generate, okay, a Johnny Manziel or a, or a Pat Mahomes. People that are having their jerseys sold. My solution to that is, is they should receive the same kind of percentage that we do in the NFL for our jerseys being sold, but their money should go into escrow so they're not considered, it's not considered income to them. It'll go into escrow. And when they leave school or they decide to graduate or leave early, then they have a right to that money. So they are receiving a stipend, so to speak, for the university selling their particular jersey. It, it, it makes sense. Now, now they're compensated. They're the ones that are getting the jersey sold. Why not? It's the same percentage we have. I get like 6 7% of a jersey that's being sold. Now there's other seven jerseys out there that are being sold. Oh, um, shit. <laughs> <laughs> First thing I said when I saw it. No, it was really, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened. You know, and, and he's, he goes with us, by the way, on our next game. But it's really, it's really funny. I'm in training camp, uh, and I'm walking out, and there's, there's 
we have a lot, a lot of young kids there that line the ropes and stuff for training camp. And I'm walking out of the locker room, and I see this little young man, little guy, and he had a seven on him. And I went, wow. And then it had Haskins. And I went, that's different. <laughs> but, it, but it is. And, you know, with, with you Dwayne. You told him no. No, that wasn't my place. I, I think that I, you know, when Dwayne gets an opportunity to play, and, and we don't know when it's going to be. It, it could be this year. It could be next year sometime. It would be two. Next week? No. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why don't we stick them out there against the Bears on Monday night? Let's see if we really get killed. Uh, no, I, the thing is, he's doing the right thing with him. Yes, he's a talented young man, um, but he hasn't seen this game. It's like anything else. I, I ask every one of you in this room: When you started in the job that you have now, how how long have you been in your job? Okay. So when you started, did you know anything near what you know today? But but you still have a little bit more knowledge. It's the same thing with us. He has he'll have no idea what he's looking at. Plus, he's never played the game at the speed that it's being played at now. Did you happen to see the Philadelphia game the other night? That was just unbelievable hard hitting all the way across the board. I mean, it was it was dirty hard football, is what it was. But they let him just beat the living desk. And last night in Cleveland. You know, Miles Garrett, the defensive end, he owned that tackle from the Jets. Do you know that this weekend there's something happening in the world of betting that no one has seen since like the 50s? The New England Patriots are favored over the Jets by 21 points. The Dallas Cowboys are favored over the Miami Dolphin by 21. I mean, that's three times. That Cowboys game's up to 22. Well, okay, but I mean, not that I would know that, but I, I think I would know. The numbers, the numbers are absolutely crazy. We have such an imbalance right now that's being created, and it all goes back to what we started talking about. You don't have quarterbacks. The colleges don't train them because they run out of a different system. And this is another thing that people don't understand. When we get young men, and that's why Patrick Mahomes is where he is because he sat behind Alex for a year. That's why I think Dwayne's situation should be to sit for the entire year. Learn how, to, learn how to work with a game plan. Learn how to prepare yourself. Learn how to be a professional. He's a great kid, studies hard, works hard, but there's so much that he doesn't know about the game. And so going all the way back to what we're talking about as far as the quarterbacks go, when it comes to training them, college coaches only are allowed to practice with their players 20 hours a week. For that is the game. So if you, and, and we're, we're probably getting there because of different things in the world, Imagine a 16-hour work week. How efficient would you really be at what you do without somebody in a supervisory role? And that's really what you deal with as far as uh, colleges go. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I mean, it was it was such an incredible experience. It was a different season for us in '82 because it was actually a strike season. We uh, we were eight and one at the end of the regular season, and we everybody entered as a wild card. And when you enter as a wild card, you play four games. If you win the division, you only wind up playing three. And you wait for the others to show up. And so each game was unbelievable. We beat the Rams. Uh, well, in 83, we beat the Rams. It was funny, 52 to like 49 to 3. And then John Robinson, who was the coach, said, they're not a very good football team. And we beat them at our place, 52 to 3. You just let them know. I, I, but, but the thing is, is it's... Um, being able to play on, on a week-to-week -week basis was great. We only had one week to get ready for this Super Bowl. So it was really a normal week for us. We traveled to Pasadena. We stayed at, uh, interestingly enough, I think it was um, one of the actresses' hotels. Disney World? 
now we didn't have Disney. Disney World didn't even exist then. Um, Disneyland did, but not Disney World. And um, it was it was so much fun. But when you see me run off with my the football in one hand and the finger up, that was something that I had emblazoned in my mind. If you remember, Joe Namath ran off the field waving his finger number one. And when Terry Bradshaw, one of the championships they won in the 80s, he ran off holding the football up. And those images had always stayed in my mind. And I don't know whether it subconsciously came to the surface, but as I ran off the field, I put the finger up and the football up. And it was a sort of a culmination of, of a dream that came true watching others walk the walk. There are only 35 of us, I believe, that have quarterback world championship football teams. Uh, there's been a bit of a glut in New England lately, so uh, <laughs> there aren't a whole lot of other guys being able to do it. And, and you, the thing is, is you, tr you try so hard, you try so, so hard to say it's just another football game. But it's really not. I mean, it, it's a culmination of childhood dreams. And, and it isn't just yours. It's everybody's dream to be able to play in that game. Interesting story and the significance of that game. I was in broadcasting, and we were doing a San Diego Charger-Denver Bronco game towards the end of John Elway's career. And John had lost like two or, th two or three Super Bowls prior to that. And I was interviewing, and I said, John, how important is winning a Super Bowl to you? I mean, you played in a great city. He says, Joey, said, I play in a great city. The fans have been spectacular. I've been to the Super Bowl. It's not that important. I said, okay, fine. So now I see him at the ESPYs in New York. He's coming in for something, and they won the Super Bowl. And I walked up. I said, John, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you in San Diego. How important was it to win the Super Bowl? He said, oh, my God, Joe, it's the most important thing in the world. <laughs> you went from making an excuse for yourself to realizing that the dream has come true, and now you stand at the top of the mountain. And, and it, it guys like Troy Aikman, who has three, Terry has four, Joe has four, Tom has six. Tom Brady's played in nine Super Bowls. Bill Belichick has coached 12 of them. There's only been 53. So, I mean, when you think of the percentages, it's absolutely crazy. But it, the opportunity is so infrequent. When Dan Marino was in his career and he lost, when everybody said, oh, he'll be back. It ain't, no, it doesn't work that way. It's like you watch the Kansas City Chiefs today. They're a different football team than they were a year ago. You don't know that they're going to be as good. Our attrition rate on a football team is roughly 25%. We have 53 guys, 63 counting the practice squad. We're going to have 16, 18 guys that weren't on the team a year ago. That's how that's that's on an annual basis. So theoretically, within four or five years, you're going to look at a football team that basically has been totally revamped. It would be like you go into your office and every four years, everybody's gone and everybody's new. How easy is it to bring everybody up to speed to your culture? Which brings me to another thing I'd like to talk about. And I, I reference Bill Parcells, and I reference Bill Belichick, two, two dear friends. Parcells was funny. He would always tell us stuff that we couldn't use on the air. <laughs> Belichick never says anything. You know? Yes, Bill, Bill, what do you think of Tom Brady? Good. <laughs> uh, what, what, what happened with Antonio Brown? He'll play. And that's about it. But I, I, um, I reference this because I think it's important. I think if you want to aspire to something in life, why not aspire to be the best? I mean, I, I don't believe in average. Average just doesn't fly for me. I believe if you're going to do something, do it like a champion. And the best way to learn about champions, the best way to understand how to be a champion is to learn from champions. 
And I, I look at Bill Belichick up in New England as an example. And I think, what has he done? I've talked to Bill about this. What has he done? Well, first of all, he's created an environment. Then he's created an expectation. Randy Moss left Oakland. Everybody said he's done, he's washed up. Went to New England in the season they went 18-0. and 0, Wound up 18-1. and 1. Nobody talks about it. They were undefeated through the regular season. Nobody talks about it because they lost the Super Bowl. He caught 23 touchdown passes that year. Tom Brady threw 50. And then he, ex he has a, a, an expectation of execution. So you have the environment, you have the expectation, you have execution. Bill Parcells, on the other hand, he believes in direction. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And then he has a discipline that's involved. This is the way it works. Just to give you an example, when he was coaching in Dallas, if a player parked their car on the white stripes that separate parking spaces, he'd have to go in the locker room, get his car, and move it so that he wasn't on the white stripe. Now you say to yourself, what does that have to do with winning a football What does that have to do with winning a football Funny you should ask, Larry. It's discipline. It's simply saying, this is the way we're going to do it. This is the way I want you to do it. I have a great picture of Bill Belichick. with He's got a skull cap on, and it's a facial shot. And under it says, do your job. I'll never forget watching one of those highlights of the Super Bowl. And he's, knelt, he's kneeling down. He's knelt down. He's, he's looking at the defensive player. All he's saying is, do your job. Don't do anything more. Do your job. And, and to me, the quarterback position is one where we have a tend to try, we tend to try and do too much. You know, it, it's really, we're facilitators. It's my job to get the ball out of my hand and to, in, in this case, hand it to John. <laughs> Throw it to Art. Give it, get it to Charlie. If it's third down and 10, and they take away the route that's designed to get the first down, throw it to Joe Washington at four yards, see if he can pick it up. If he can't, we'll punt the ball. Let Jeff Hayes punt it. And then what we do, we put our defense out. One time Jeff Hayes didn't punt, though. Yeah, that, do uh, you want to, I, I don't know. No, 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 keep going. You want to save that one? But that's, save that for the next I'll minute. save that for the next set. Uh, but anyway, it's it's all a matter of being able to facilitate. I get sideways when people say, I know quarterbacks are just managers. Trent Dilfer was a manager. Uh, Brad Johnson was a manager. Trent wanted in Baltimore. Brad wanted with Tampa Bay. Well, Tom Brady's a manager. You manage the game. Here's one for you. Talk about coach. Coaches are supposed to manage. Go back to New England, Seattle. You have Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. You have first and goal at the four. Okay. You hand him the ball, he gains three yards, he's on the one-yard line. They throw it. What sense does that make? Then there's another one. Then go, then go another element to it. Take one more element and go to it. And take the Atlanta Falcon game. 28-3. There's five and a half minutes to go. Kneel down three times and kick a field goal. The ball was first and ten on the 22-yard line. There's no reason in God's green earth why that game should have been lost. Coaching decision. I, I got a kick out of Kyle Shanahan. He said, you know, we were gonna do what we were gonna do what we did what got us there. To me, you do what you do to get you there, but then you do something else if you need to to win. There's, you know, you have to fit, gotta finish the hit the hit, cross the lot. You gotta get to the goal line and get over. Get to a certain point. But it's um, it's a it's a business it's a business, it's a tough profession, it's ebbs and flows of your life. You come home sometimes, and your, you know, your family looks at you. When I was playing in Canada, I never forget. I threw five interceptions against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I walked in the house, and my wife Sherry at the time said to me, 
are your eyes okay? <laughs> and I said, yeah, why? She says, well, you know, I don't know if you should be checked for color blindness because they caught more, Hamilton caught more from you than our guys did. We're wearing blue, they're wearing yellow. I don't know if that color's a problem for you. So, uh, you know, you get it everywhere. You get it at home, you get it from the media, all kinds of places. I hope you guys are enjoying the way Joe is tying this in. Big round of applause for Joe. And again, we could be here all night, but I don't know how long they have the room here, so we got to keep pushing the program forward. We have another piece of video. I bought the club. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody here, obviously, on a daily basis, responds to some type of adversity, right? Some of it, it might be from your own doing. Some of it might be pushed on you by your employer. It just might happen just by accident. But Joe has had to respond to adversity in front of the whole world, so check this video out. Bill Theismann and Lawrence Taylor together again, inviting you to watch the Giants and the Redskins on Thanksgiving night on NBC. Yeah, it's been a while since we've been together, Joe. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> okay, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> but before we talk about responding to adversity, I think just about everybody in this room wants to know, how did you do that shoot with him? How did that go? Because you hadn't seen him in a long time. Did you let the folks in on how that went for Actually, you? we do see each other. Club before that. Well, we, we actually we actually played golf together, but I won't let him stand on my left side. <laughs> he has to be right in front of me where I can see him at all. I tell him this, I said, we'll play together, but you can never, ever be where I can't see you. I just, just have a thing about that. Um, Freddie Goodelli, who was my boss uh, at ESPN, I worked for Freddie, he was our producer. NBC Sports producer of Sunday Night Football. He does Sunday Night Football now, and uh, they wanted to put that on on a Thanksgiving day, because the Giants and Redskins were playing, so they wanted to shoot that, so they got us together to, to shoot that up in New York. But it, it's, it's interesting, uh, that kind of a relationship that we have. You want me to talk about the night? I want you to talk about responding to adversity, because that is just a, uh, I think everybody here can relate to that. Whether it's about that night, whether it's about a month later, whether it's about two months later, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? I, you know, I struggle like everybody else. I get questions all the time. I'm, a, I'm somewhat of a high-energy individual. Somewhat? Somewhat. I've calmed down a lot. But Robin doesn't think I've calmed down much, my wife. But I, I run at a high level. Everybody says, Joe, every, every time I see you, you're up, you're bouncing around. You, you know, you must stay here. I don't. I have peaks and valleys like everybody else. I just choose not to stay in the valley very long. I mean, we have choices in our lives. We can let our circumstances dictate to us what we're going to be, or we can dictate to the circumstances and say, I'm going to change it. And that's part of what change is all about. For me, when I got hurt, I went, I, I was down. It took me two years emotionally to sort of regain the energy to be what I wanted to be and what I needed to be. Yeah, I, you have to understand. I made, like I said, 1985. I, I made a million dollars. Okay. Then when I got, I signed a five-year contract. I was gonna be, I was gonna be the fourth highest paid player in National Football League at over a million a year, which at that time was terrific. Back in 1984. Then I got hurt in the second year, and all of a sudden, those remaining three years were gone, and and all and and there was an agreement with the National Football League that said if you were hurt in a subsequent year after an injury and you couldn't play, you would get one half your salary. Or up to sixty-five thousand dollars. In 1986, I got, I took a nine hundred thirty-five thousand dollar pay cut, and and all of a sudden it was like, what am I going to do? And I wasn't a nice person. My ego had gotten the best of me. 
I had, I felt like I was Joe Theismann, football star, turn on a TV, turn on a radio, pick up a newspaper, Theismann leads Redskins, you'd hear it, you'd see it. If you didn't believe that, please just ask me. I would have been happy to tell you just how good I really was. I'm not proud of that by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what I became. I became that person that nobody wants to be around, from family to friends to everybody, until November 18, 1985. I remember that night like it was yesterday. We were in the midst of a four of a, a four and four season. I wasn't playing well. I walked in the locker room. I sat down. I did the same thing that everybody has done in this room. I had a heart to heart with Joe Thies. We've all done it. We've all sat down, looked at our circumstances, where we're going, what we want to do, and figured out and said, Do I want to do this? Do I want changes in my life? What do I want? I sat down, I stared at the wall in my locker, I said, All right, Joe, it's the Giants, it's Monday Night TV. This is your opportunity, which happens to be my favorite word, to be able to go out and show the world that the Joe Thies that you love so much is back. Got up from my locker, started out of that locker room. We used to have the Redskin logo right above that exit sign. For 12 years as a Redskin quarterback, I'm a superstitious person. I used to hit that logo and never said a word. This night, I got up, hit that logo, and I said these words, tonight your life's going to change, Joe. And little did I realize I was into prophecy. My world was about to change like I could never imagine. I got, up, I got out on that field, seven for 10, threw a touchdown pass, figured, look out world, Joey's back. The Joe Theismann that I love so much is back. We turn to start the second quarter. Coach Gibbs calls a flea flicker. Now, some of you may or may not understand the vernacular of football. I'll explain what a flea flicker is, but first you have to understand what I did for a living. For 12 years as a quarterback of the Redskins, I earned my living with my hands on another guy's rear end. That's what I did for a living. <laughs> Doesn't really look very good on resumes <laughs> until you apply for management positions, and then things change just a little bit. Totally understand that. But I got up under the center, took the snap, turned around, hand the, hand the ball to Big John. He starts towards the line, just forgets where he stops. He turns around, pitches it back to me. We should fool the Giants, thinking they should be up here trying to tackle Giants. He turns around, pitches the bat back to me. I look for Art Monk down the field, he's covered. I look to my tight end, Donnie Warren, he's covered. Then I slid to the right a little, and they grabbed my left, Lawrence grabbed my left shoulder. I swung around, his right leg on my right leg between the knee and the ankle. And right off where that speaker sits, I heard pop. It sounded like two muzzled gunshots, but actually it's my right leg breaking. I had an open compound fracture in my lower right leg, and I sat there on the field, seemed like it was an eternity. It was only about five minutes. From the knee down, my leg was completely numb. Charlie Jackson put it back together for me, like the jigsaw puzzle. The nurse comes walking in, she says, Mr. Thies, Mr. Taylor's on the phone, would you like to speak to him? I said, give me your phone. I said, LT, is that you? He said, yeah, Joe, how you doing? I said, not very well. He says, why? I said, why? You broke both bones in my leg for crying out loud. He said, Joe, you have to understand something. I don't do things halfway. Got to go to practice. Talk to you later. <laughs> so that's the story of Joe Theismann's leg. Uh, all the little sidebars. Look at you now. You look great. You look fantastic. Put together by pins and tape and everything else. All right, we've got we've got a few minutes left. We have one topic. One topic left to talk about. Are we gonna, are we going to allow? Let me ask you a question. You're, are we going to allow? Everybody here to ask some questions. We're going to allow everybody here to ask a question. We're going to be here for 1 a.m. if that happens. Well, they don't mind, do you? Every don't person here. here. Where am I going? We're going to go off script. We're, we're, no, I'm going to keep this thing straight. I'm going to keep, unless anybody, does anybody have any no, questions for Joe Theismann? Okay. Yes, yes, sir. Right in the middle. When you were a rookie, what's your best story of the older guys playing pranks on you? or? Best prank story when you were a rookie. He's I don't got, know a prank story. more than one of those. Uh, I know. Well, I can tell you. Billy and Sonny hated it. Billy Kilmer and Sonny Jurgensen absolutely hated it. And I gave him reason to. 
Uh, good question. But, uh, 1974, when I joined the team, first of all, it was a strike year. See, we went, we didn't win that year, but 82 and 87, we're waiting for another strike so the Redskins can win another championship. So we've, won, we've won two of the championship years. So 1974, the, the Washington Redskins were a very, very strong union team. It was an older football team, very, very strong union team. 1974, now I'm a rookie, and I'm like, hey, they're not in, I'm gonna go in, I crossed the line. Riding the bus into the stadium with all those guys, your teammates standing out there calling you all these vile names and just absolutely hating you and then going and playing. I played at RFK Stadium in front of 5,000 people in, our, in the first preseason game we played. Now, it's funny, when you're in a stadium, it echoes. And the cadences were like, I'd get them and go, yellow 31, yellow 31, hut, hut. And all you'd hear was, hut, hut. <laughs> <laughs> there was an echo in the stadium. So now all of a sudden, so now I'm the quarterback. I come to town, I go on TV, and I go, I didn't come here to sit, I came here to play. Well, Billy and Sonny had heard that. Actually, I don't think Billy and Sonny were that close at that time. Because every Bill, George loved Billy. George Allen loved Billy because he handed off and through those things that they call passes every now and then. Billy, wounded ducks. They, they wounded just, they, you could catch either end. It was very simple, <laughs> the way Billy described it. And Sonny was like the most pure passer in the world. I mean, and Red, so I got a chance, and his nickname was Red. I used to play with him, Sonny, for one year. But it's it's funny, and then I think they were at the Dancing Crab downtown here at one time. It was a bar. So the way the story goes is they're sitting there getting lit up pretty decent. And they made, they made a pact that night. That no, it didn't matter which one of them played, as long as he didn't. Yeah. Me being the heat. So I bought. I, I created a friendship that's lasted like forty plus years for him. So I saw Sonny one day. We were. This is when he, we was doing radio, and we were sitting there. So we're driving out to practice one day, and I said, "Hey, Red, I got a question for you." He said, "Yeah, what?" I said, "Tell me. I've heard that you guys, you and Billy, really hated me. Is that true?" Now you're hoping. Then he says, no, it was just a room. He goes, absolutely, couldn't stand your little rear end. <laughs> okay, that confirms it that way. But uh, it, was, it, it was tough. Now, I spent my first two years, people don't know this, I spent my first two years as a punt return. The middle of the 874 season, all the 75, I returned punts. Um, I just love to play. I mean, I, I'm, the, I'm that way now. The thing I miss most is being able to throw the ball around. I have rotator tears, but the doctor said, as long as you could play golf and put up with them, don't do anything. So I continue to play and go on. But just to be able to throw the ball around would be so much fun and so exciting for me. I can throw it a short distance, but I'd love to drop back and cut it loose. But it would be from about me to Larry. That would be about the distance. Right? I can catch that one. But, uh, you know, it, uh, 74 was – Coach Allen was unbelievable. I mean, we – See, we practiced, we had training camp three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon, no water. George used to bring out popsicles for us in the afternoon. And it would be like everybody attacking the oasis. Popsicles? popsicles. Orange, orange popsicles? Too? Absolutely. Oranges? Orange popsicles. Oranges, that was about it. Salt pills? We'd take those before. Yeah. And the great thing, great thing about an afternoon practice is when you took your pads off, they were soaking wet. We trained in Carlisle. Pads were soaking wet. So the nice thing is, is our locker room was so air-conditioned. So you had this 30 seconds of pleasure putting the pads on when they were cold again. And then you were back outside into the, into the room. Doesn't sound like pleasure to me. No, it's not. Yes, sir. Yeah, so uh, I was lucky enough to be uh, a witness to your career here in Washington. You gave me 
great excitement about the Redskins. Big, Thank you. big fan. Had three children, brought two boys, a girl. Brought them up on the Redskins. They look at me now like, what the hell? We live in Maryland. What the hell? What's going on, what Dad? Going on? And I don't know what to say, but you're closer to it. Where are we going? Where's the team going? From a lifelong Redskins fan. Lifelong Redskins fan. I, I hope in the right direction. We have a tremendous youth movement going on now. From the quarterback to the wide receivers, we drafted two young offensive linemen. Uh, Cole, um, um, Cole Holcomb, the linebacker, is going to be a really good one. Jimmy I think Moreland? Jimmy Moreland as a defensive back is going to be a good one. Um, you know, we've got we've got the nucleus of a very young, good football team. We're going through communication issues because of their youth. I think offensively, everybody wondered what about Trent Williams. The left side of the offensive line has been no problem whatsoever. Donald Pem and Eric Flowers doing a good job. The right side has had some issues. Brandon Sheriff and, and Morgan Moses. Uh, especially in the last game. Um, our ability to be able to run the football, Darius Geis, another young guy, can he stay healthy enough to contribute? We need to play. I think the fans have gotten tired. Yep. I, I think there's a frustration. It's almost like it's, it's gone past the frustration, which I hate to say, it's almost into apathy, and that they're tired. For so long, we want, our, the ex, we want to win. We want to win. We want to show me some signs of something big happening. And we thought it might be happening in Philadelphia Forest. And then it got away from us a little bit. But I think I think this is going to be a football team, and we'll, we'll never know until we see Dwayne play. This is a quarterback's league. You know, you, you saw the Jets last night. Uh, they just overwhelmed the kid. You can't hold the football in this league. I never did. You know, I, I was with Coach Gibbs. I, I, Coach Gibbs is was the greatest that I've ever seen at halftime adjustments. And when it, there's a thing called the red zone, for those of you that know, that's the 20 and in. Who doesn't know that? Well, some people might not. I just, a little educational experience. Come on. Caroline, you're not sure, are you? You know what the red zone is? See? I know. Okay, I take it back. She knows. Who knows what the red zone is? There you go. Who does? Well, who doesn't? Oh, come on. One person put up a hand. Please, please. Thank you very much. Oh, come on. He knows what the red zone is. I got, I got one. He's trying to make you feel good. We do that Bank of America thing together. He's trying to make you feel good, Joe. But it's it's he he was a genius when it comes to getting ball in the end zone. No, no, we just you know we that. we we rank poorly when it comes to scoring touchdowns in the end zone or getting in the red zone. We we're poor on third down, poor on third down defense. There are certain statistics that make a difference. The Philadelphia game, they converted two third and fifteens. We couldn't convert two third and fifteens. Difference in the football game. To be honest with you, gives us more snaps, gives us more opportunity to play. I, I think. Again, you hate to say it. I'm, everybody accused me of being a homer, you know, perpetually optimistic. It's my nature. I, I think we're a football team that is middle of the road right now. Yes. Hey, Joe, last question. Last question, please. Uh, what's your handicap? What's your handicap? Three. Three. Three handicap. Wow. I'm retired. What do you want for? He's playing too much golf. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. There's two things that there's not too much of. That was the last question. Sorry. No, be a nice, be a nice guy. I know him. I'm just messing with him. Joe, can you talk about growing up in the cauldron of Pennsylvania football? Actually, I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey, but everybody thinks it's New Jersey, Pennsylvania, similar area. They're not the same state. Because you got Johnny Unitas, Dan Marino, Joe Namath, Joe Montana. Where are they from? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. You, New Jersey. Great quarterback. 
One of the greatest of all time. Who else? Who Bill Sims. Bill Sims? Bill Sims? No, he's not as good as him. Well, no way. Anyway. Remember anyway. science that was on Long Island? Let me, let me science that was Long Island. Well, part of Jersey. I grew up in Central Jersey, South River. Actually, actually, you'll find it interesting. My wide receiver in high school was a guy who should be in the Hall of Fame by the name of Drew Pearson. Yeah, and when I left, Drew became the quarterback. No, not Which brings us he to the Hall of Fame. He needs to be in the Hall of Fame before Drew Pearson. Well, he's, the Hall of Fame. he's much too humble, this guy. We need to get somebody else in before that. And that's yeah, Joe Jacoby's one. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause for Joe Feisman. Thank you. 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 Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, Joe Theismann. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like information on how you can attend our live events or book our new virtual ones, visit www.thuzio.com. That's T-H-U-Z-I-O.com. And be sure to follow us on social media at Thuzio.